The first week of fall camp is in the books. Who stood out as the Horn Frogs put the pads on and started hitting each other? Plus, the Big 12 is set to be the Big 16. Let's break down what it means for the conference to add Arizona, Arizona State, and Utah to the squad. All that and more on this episode of Frogs Insider. Welcome in, everybody, to another episode of Frogs Insider. I am Jamie Plunkett here, as always, with Melissa Trewasser. We are your hosts for the TCU podcast in the Dave Campbell's Texas Football Republic of Football Network. Please, if this is your first time listening, make sure that you hit that subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts. Check us out on the YouTube channel as well and like us there at Frogs Insider and Last but not least, hit us up on Instagram as well, so you make sure that you never miss an episode as we get into football season, because fall camp is underway, and we know what comes next. That is Horn Frog football in 2023. Melissa, how are you doing today? Jamie, I'm not sure if you want to talk about fall camp for TCU or fall camp for the uh, St. Francis Trubies, because that also opened this week. But um, we'll we'll p- cover plenty of that, I'm sure, this season as well. Uh, but I guess for the people that do listen to the show, maybe maybe we stick to the Horned Frogs for the time being. Look, I'm going to need weekly status updates on how the oh, Trubies are faring. I don't care if you need them or want them or if people <laughs> need them or want them. We're going to open every episode talking about the Trubies. It's going to happen. I am I am fired up. To be I need to know. Football. I need to know how successful Mesh is every week. Yeah. I need to know how. Hey, I mean, hey, you've talked. Hey, Sucky win secrets. You've. You, if I'm telling you, I'm telling who's who's you're, St. Francis. You're telling me you're 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 telling Christian Brothers and oh. Deloro and Rockland and Granite Bay. And... Well, Christian Brothers just ignore what I just said. They're never going to run Mesh ever. Never going to um, run Mesh. But you've talked to an astounding number of people about. <laughs> this uh, endeavor and you've got playbooks on playbooks on playbooks ready to rock and strategies for coaching and how you're going to sort out all of the kids that showed up for your first tryout and I'm like very stoked to watch this go down listen I didn't I haven't brought this up yet but it, it feels like a good time do I have two TCU plays that were customized for me by TCU's offensive coordinator to run for seven on seven I do that is a <laughs> That is a factual statement um, that that I did get an opportunity um, to chat with Kendall Bryles before fall camp started about coaching seven on seven flag football. Um, And I I will say um, it was a very like interesting. I I learned a lot in a very short period of time in a 30 minute phone call. I I felt like he gave me a lot of great information. I got a little insight. I feel like almost into into what TCU is doing. And he did draw up a couple plays that, that are TCU plays that he kind of helped me uh, adapt for seven on seven. And so my response to him, because being the smart ass that I am was thank you so much, coach. Let's see who scores on one of these first. And <laughs> that got a pretty good laugh. I got a good chuckle out of him. So uh, I did actually, that is the thing I actually texted back to him, um, which I, <laughs> cause again, I can't help it, but be, the disaster mess of a human being that I am. So yeah, so him, um, I, I almost don't want to tell people I've been consulting with our our friend uh, Parker because, you know, people might think that's a bad idea. Uh, <laughs> well, everybody but, knows who you got mesh from. That's not yeah, a secret that's, that's a, at all. He's, good, he's been yeah. tweeting about mesh for three years. But the fact yeah. that, you know, I think it's really cool that the fact that Kendall Bryles in the midst of 
year one in a new job in a new city with so many new players, like all of the things that come with coaching just generally. And then you're adding the layer of year one onto that for him to stop down and um, help you out and have that yeah. conversation is super cool. Yeah, I, I was I was really impressed that he was willing to take the time. Um, I, I was I was appreciative of it. Um, you know, I, I've I've made uh, my concerns about the hire well known. Um, you know, throughout the process, and I I think you know how much do you know about a person in a thirty minute phone call or fifteen minute press conference? Right, we're still learning, but um, I will say this: that I'm I'm impressed that that TCU has said we're not going to hide this. That Sonny Dykes took full ownership of the process. Um, that he's been at press conferences, and um, people do grow and change. And you hope that that what we're seeing is the growth and and the evolving of you know a man as he gets into his thirties and forties and raises kids of his own. Um, I, there's, there's certainly reason, um, to, to, I hate to say trust the process, but to, to trust the process and, and be, um, open to, uh, you know, th who he is today, um, versus, uh, you know, what, what we do or don't know about who he was in the past. Um, and yeah, like, does, does it help that he was willing to jump on a phone call with me? Yeah. I mean, at, like, sure. Full transparency. Right. Is that why he did it? I didn't get that impression. Um, no, of course not. Yeah. So, so yeah, it's, I, I, it was, a, it was a weird kind of moment of reckoning for me in a, in a way, but I was also like, you know, like all you can do is, is interact with people as, as you meet them. Right. And, and get to know them a little bit. And I don't know how much you get to know somebody again in a 30 minute phone call, but the fact that he took 30 minutes out of his day, literally the Thursday before fall camp started, um, does, does give me some insight into, um, the character of who this, this person is right now. And it was, like it was really cool to talk to a very high level offensive coordinator, let alone TCU's offensive coordinator about football in a way that he talked to me like I was a coach, you know? Which yeah. Was that's cool. probably pretty awesome. Yeah. It was pretty cool. Like it, it was not like, Hey, little lady, I'm going to tell you how to do them things. It was okay. So if you're doing this, you're separating out this and here's something that I've learned, but I've seen it done this way. You may want to, and it, it was like, it, it was equal footing for 30 minutes. And I was like, I do not belong in this conversation, but this is really freaking cool. So uh, super appreciative of that. Super appreciative of Mark Cohen mm -hmm. um, helping set that up. Uh, he made a, he made a side comment about it at big 12 media days. Um, and he followed up. It wasn't just a side comment. He actually made it happen. And that was pretty cool. So if you see Kendall uh, sporting a St. Francis Troubadour shirt at practice one of these days, uh, you'll you'll know why. So I, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send him one as soon as we score on one of his plays. There you go. I, I told him at the Flying Tea event the other week, I was like, hey, just Melissa had a great time having that conversation. And he lit up and he was like, oh, it was su such a blast to talk talk with her for a little while. And, and he seemed to have enjoyed the conversation as much as you. And you, you do mention, you know, trust the process. And I think that's an important thing to do, and I wrote about that a little bit over on Horn Frog Blitz. Uh, I had the chance to, to stop down and, and talk with Jeremiah Donati for a moment about the process, about the policies and procedures that TCU as an institution has in place, um, about some of the the looking in the mirror that TCU mm -hmm. and a lot of other institutions did in light of the Baylor scandal. Um, I'm going to unlock that on Horn Frog Blitz and make that free for everybody to read so that they can get a better understanding of where TCU stands as an institution to prevent uh, stuff like that from happening again, too, because I think, uh, like you said, there's there's so much we can know about a person in a press conference or a phone call. But it's also, I think, comforting to know that the school itself has done yeah. a lot of work between then and now, um, years and years and years ahead of Kendall Bryles being yeah. on campus or Kaz Kazadi being on campus or anybody else uh, to make sure that that's not uh, a situation that TCU finds itself in. 
uh, as well. So I'll unlock yeah. that article and, and let folks read for, that for free. Yeah. And, and, and listen, like I'm a subscriber <clears throat> again. Cause oh, you there know, you I, go. Got, I got a little hurt. You know, I, I'm very sensitive person. People that know me, I'm a little bit sensitive. Um, and I got a little annoyed with the message board, uh, stuff that was coming out, but, <laughs> but you're working there now. People can't talk crap about me as much. So <laughs> they haven't, I mean, I haven't, haven't seen a single, now they still talk yeah. a little bit of trash about Parker, but oh, all the time, about? but, but who doesn't, um, but yeah, yeah. so, so I, I resubscribed, um, and, and they were running a great promo not too long ago. I don't know if they still have it on. Um, and so I, I do encourage people to, to subscribe to that and inter- support Jamie, support Jeremy, our, our folks over there calling when he's around. Um, I did not expect that we were going to open this conversation with the, I didn't either. About, I but, didn't either. But if the, you know, I, know, I know these are things that you and I both have, have had lots of conversations with people that are both passionate about, you know, obviously I, I work at, a, at an all girls school. Um, so the safety of my students, we send a lot of kids to TCU. I've, I've, you mm-hmm. know, dozens of kids apply to TCU annually and sadly not all of them get in anymore. Um, <laughs> But uh, yeah, so I man, I'm glad we went. We did, yeah. Um, No joke. But I think it's (laughs) I think it's super important that these conversations are continuing to be had because if you're not talking about things, then it's easy to forget about things. And I think one thing we've seen from Jeremiah Donati, Victor Boschini, and the entire leadership at TCU, including Sonny Dykes, is that he's not going to forget about things, um, and that this is a priority for the campus, the university, not just the football program. And at the end of the day, like that's that's what we all want. That's what we all want is a is a safe comfortable environment for all of our students, not just our student athletes. And, um, you know, I've, things happen, things are always going to happen. Um, but I have been impressed with the procedures that, that have been put in place for not just the last couple of years, but really the last decade or so, um, you know, missteps along the way, obviously, but they seem to learn. Um, mm-hmm. and that's, that's what you can ask of a learning institution. Continue to learn. Absolutely. It absolutely is. Um, yeah, I didn't expect us to open with that either, but I'm glad we did. Uh, yeah. But now that means we get to move on to something really cool. We've been teasing for um, a couple of months now, actually, uh, a fun announcement that we had, and it's finally ready to rock. We are very excited to announce that we are partnering with Hell's Half Acre Sporting Goods. Uh, Hell's Half Acre Sporting Goods is an excellent brand that was created with Horn Frogs in mind. Uh, and each item sold makes a direct impact on TCU student athletes. I've enjoyed getting to know the founder and owner of Hell's Half Acre Sporting Goods over the last several months. He's a great dude. Um, you will see him at almost every single TCU ad- mm-hmm. athletics event possible and then some. I think he makes up TCU athletics events just yeah. so we can go to him because <laughs> yeah. uh, he is a horn frog through and through. To quote Kenny Kane, he bleeds purple, right? And so uh, very excited to be partnering with Hell's Half Acre. You can check out all of their TCU gear from polos and T-shirts to headwear and home goods uh, over at the Hell's hoodie. Half Acre. The hoodies the are dope. frog ball hoodie is yeah. so sick. They've I got love the frog that hoodie. Ball hoodie. Yeah. I, um, I, I've got a couple little pieces there. I've got the, the Hell's Half Acre hat as well, the dad hat, which is a very comfortable fit um, for my very average-sized head. Um, but I do love their stuff. They're, they're a great company. They are, they are purple through and through. Uh, and the coolest part about it, Melissa, is that over the weekend, uh, I got a text from him. His name's Steven. I got a text from him. And he said, hey, man, or I guess this was on Friday. He goes, hey, man, are you on campus today? I was like, I, I actually am on campus today. And he said, I got something for you. And so we met up for a brief moment right around lunchtime. And he handed me a four pack of their newest collaboration nice. with Ford Brewery, uh, Hell's Half Lager. Um, and so I was planning on like having a Hell's Half Lager while we recorded the pod tonight. But that was on Friday. And they're and we, gone. And there we recorded this on Monday. 
Yeah. And they were all gone uh, yeah. by by Saturday morning. So, uh, Jamie, very, I, I better uh, have some of those waiting for me. You for will, the Colorado game. I my, the ticket is booked. My refrigerator will be completely stocked, Good. ready to rock. Good looking there will can be too. A great looking a can. Good and looking can. You're like, oh my gosh, it's a four pack. It's a 16 ounce can though. I mean, these are these okay. are tall boys. These are yeah. these are big. These are bigger cans. They're not just 12 ounce beer. You get four for 12.99 over at Fort Brewery, uh, and those are available now on sale at Fort Brewery. You can buy four packs. You can buy more four packs. You can buy kegs of this already. Okay. Um, I saw a picture on their Instagram the other day where a dude just had a, a pony keg over his shoulder ready to rock with some hell's half lager for the weekend. Uh, And the best part about it is that a portion of it goes directly to the flying tea cup tea club, which uh, benefits all of the student athletes at TCU. So if you are 21 or older, please drink responsibly and enjoy a little bit of hell's half lager. If you are not 21, are you saying don't drink responsibly? I'm saying don't drink. Okay. I just wanted to clarify because none of us, yeah, none of us have done that. So None of us have done that. Law Nobody ever should. On this podcast, yeah. It's very dangerous until you turn 21, then a switch flips Magically, in your body and you are yeah. capable of handling alcohol when you turn 21. So um, I hear, and now Jamie, I'm not going to be able to get to be a part of this, but mm-hmm. I hear they're doing a little something special before the season starts. Yes, very excited. I'll, I'm going to be a part of this on August 24th. That's a Thursday. It's the Thursday. It's a week, a little over a week before TCU's first game against Colorado. Uh, Thursday. August 24th at Fort Brewery from 6.30 to 9.30. They are having a kickoff party for TCU's football season. It's 35 bucks. That gets you a couple of drink tickets, a food voucher, a Fort Brewery pint glass, uh, and Jeremy Clark from Horn Frog Blitz and I will be there hosting a live conversation about TCU football and the season to come. So you definitely don't want to miss out on that night. Again, that's a Thursday, August 24th at Fort Brewery from 630 to 930 Central Time. Make sure that you are there. You can get your tickets over at hellshalfacre.com along with all of their awesome TCU gear made especially for the Horn Frog fans. So Shout out to Hell's Half Acre Sporting Goods. Very excited to partner with them uh, and see where this journey takes us. We're going to be doing a little bit of work for their website as well, um, which I'm looking forward to. So keep an eye out for that in the future too. Cool. Hey, you know what else is in the future? What's in the future? Football season. You're darn right it is. Yeah. And it's in the near future because we were one week out through camp. I know you got out to to a couple practices or practice here last weekend. Mm -hmm. Um, We've seen lots of great reporting um, that that you guys have been doing over in uh, 247. Corn Frog Blitz. Uh, Steven Johnson's done a great job as per usual. Um, It's I've, these are the times when I really miss living in Texas because yeah. I hate not being able to be out there at camp, but I feel like I've been kept in the know um, by, by reading all the great work everybody else is doing. And there's a lot to be excited about. Um, a lot of questions starting to kind of come together. Um, so we're starting to see the offensive line is taking shape a little bit. It looks like um, quarterback situation though. It's something we kind of came into fall camp with not necessarily some questions about who the starter was going to be, but what the depth chart was going to shake out a couple days in, we've got questions all over again. Yes. Uh, so yeah, Chandler Morris is the starter. The question was, who's going to back him up? Was it going to be Josh Hoover? Was it going to be Chance Nolan? Who had we transferred know who in? it's not going to be now. <laughs> yeah, who had transferred in from Oregon State. Well, after two practices, Chance Nolan decided that TCU just wasn't it for him. Wasn't feeling the vibes uh, in Fort Worth and Funky Town, apparently. And he has left the team. So uh, TCU is down a quarterback. They're down a scholarship quarterback, um, which is a really tough situation to be in, regardless of what that guy's role was going to be on 
the field or on the sideline or in the film room or whatever it was to lose an extra voice, to lose an extra set of eyes two days into fall camp is a challenge. Uh, I don't necessarily think that TCU is worse off from a performance on the field, need a quarterback situation because the reality I think is, is that if Chandler Morris goes down, the season's probably not going to go the way they want it to go mm-hmm. anyways. So it's not necessarily a, Oh my gosh, this guy was going to help us if Chandler went down and we were going to have another season like we did last year uh, situation, but it is a, this was the most experienced quarterback from a gameplay yeah. perceptive perception on the team perspective is the word I'm looking for there. Yeah. He, he play, words. yeah all the P words he had, he had played, more football than Chandler and Josh combined at Oregon State, uh, and now he's not there. So that's that's a challenge. TCU does have someone coming in later this week in the transfer portal um, for, to kind of fill into that role. Uh, that's going to be a challenge, though, to get someone up and running this late in the year with football looming, you know, less than less than a month away. So it'll it'll be interesting. It's going to be an interesting situation. So, you know, you talk about Chandler Morris gets hurt, TCU's, you know, going to be facing an uphill battle, but I keep hearing really positive things about Josh Hoover and his development. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I think we saw in the spring game and take, you know, take spring games for what they will, um, that that he's got the stuff. And again, we said this time and time again, Sonny Dykes went after this kid for a reason, but it seems that, that he's making some big plays, that he's making really good reads being a good decision maker, um, maybe more confident than we were a couple months ago about if he needed to come in and win a game, um, that it, it it wouldn't kind of be a death knell for TCU's football season if Chandler were to miss a week or two. Obviously, if misses a significant amount of time, different story. But it, Josh it looks like he can, he can sling it a little bit. He does, and he looks different. I think I mentioned this in the spring as well when we got the pod up and running, is that he's lost a ton of weight. He's, he's changed his body. Uh, he looks a lot different. He's throwing the ball really, really well. The most impressive thing that I've seen from Josh Hoover between the spring and now is his mobility. You know, we talked mm-hmm. a lot about this Bryles offense requires a quarterback that can, if not just flat out run, be mobile in the pocket, spread plays, change throwing angles, and, and keep plays alive uh, for a little bit longer than maybe the kind of quote unquote standard play would need to, as far as timing to operate goes. And that was kind of the question about Josh was, is he going to have the mobility needed? to really fit into Kendall Brown's offense. And he's proven that he does, which is, is a nice surprise. And I think when we got into the first week of fall camp and start, started to see that pretty much right out of the gate, that's maybe what was a signal to Chance Nolan that, oh, I'm really like, I'm not, I'm not passing Chandler. And now I'm probably not passing Josh Hoover either. Yeah. So I'm going to go ahead and scoot and, and find a place where maybe I have a, a better opportunity of some playing time. So re- while, you know, it's, uh, it's a double-edged sword to to lose a guy like Nolan at this point in the season. It's also probably a little bit of a commentary on the state of the the first and second string quarterbacks that, that TCU has right now. Well, and we can remember, you know, back a few years ago when you have an unhappy veteran backup that sometimes that can be more problems than good. And I guess if he's going to leave, better to leave two days into fall camp than say, I don't know, halfway through the season, like mm-hmm. we've seen happen previously. So it is probably better that, uh, you know, a, a quarterback has the full opportunity to be the starter and be the guy and not get, you know, flip-flopped back and forth yeah. to quote Michael Scott, snip, snap, snip, snap, snip, snap um, about whether or not you're going to start one week or back up the next week or yeah. what's going on in practice and who's going to be the first string. No, there's, there's a, a pretty solid one, two right now for TCU yeah. football. And that's a good thing overall. Yeah. 
Uh, it also helps. Another good thing overall is when you have a ton of talented players to get the ball to. And man, every time I read something about fall camp, a different wide receiver is doing something ridiculous. Um, and, and one of the guys that people have been really excited about that we got excited about this summer and that now that he's gotten the red jersey off, he is out there making plays again is Cordell Russell. Um, I love what Sonny had to say about him is that some kids love the pro. I don't know if we talked about this last week or not, but some kids love the process of getting recruited, of being a highly sought after kid. And some kids like football and Cordell Russell likes football Mm -hmm. Um, and he plays like he likes football and he practices like he likes football. And he's, he has an attitude and energy. He's got a lot of the qualities, not just in what he can do physically, but who he is off the field that have me really excited about this kid. I don't want to put too much pressure on a true freshman, but he looks like he could be a day one starter for TCU. Yeah, I, I I don't I don't know if he's going to be a day one starter, but I think he has the talent to be a legitimate contributor to this offense right out of the gate. And a lot of the reason for that is because of the void left by Quentin Johnston, and they're mm-hmm. looking for consistency from those out, outside receivers. You know, we had the chance to talk to Sonny about this at, at Big Twelve Media Days, and he, you know, I asked him specifically about Savion Williams, and I said, "What does Savion need to do this year to have?" a breakout year in his fourth year in the system and and, in the program. Uh, And he said he needed to see more consistency. He Mm -hmm. needed to see him be in the spots at the right time. He needed to get his timing down. He needed to be where the quarterback thought he was going to be when the quarterback needed him to be there, that kind of thing. Um, We've seen that from Cordell Russell every day in the first week of fall camp. Um, And not only have we seen him running incredible routes and, and being where he's supposed to be when he's supposed to be there, but we've seen this athletic freak, frankly, yeah. just kind of take over at times. And yes, it is fall camp. And yes, things are going to get overhyped. And, you know, we've had this debate with people in, in the Fumbletown thread all the time about what can you even make from your team playing your team in yeah. fall camp? Like, what can we really read into that? But I think athleticism shows up regardless of what the situation is. And for Cordell, the athleticism is very obvious. I mean, there's a reason that he was a top 70 recruit for the class of 2023. There's a reason he was a top 10 recruit in the state of Texas. There's a reason that he had as many offers as he did, which I can't even remember now. Let me try to get to his profile real quick. But it was an, an, an absurd, yeah. absurd number of offers. And he locked it down pretty early in the process with TCU. Yeah, he, he had over 20 offers and he locked it down pretty early with TCU. I mean, he committed in 2022 to the Horn Frogs. He was the first commit, I believe, for the 2022 class um, because he was committed to Sonny over at yeah. SMU. Yeah. And so, I mean, as soon as the Dykes coaching staff came over to TCU, Cordell flipped over. And I mean, I, I can't think of a better guy who has had that long of a relationship with Sonny Dykes to come in in the first fall camp that he's had and just really make a name for himself. So very excited to see what he's capable of doing moving forward. Again, he's still a freshman. So, you know, there may, there may be a freshman wall there somewhere and there's a lot of competition for that outside receiver spot, but Cordell Russell is definitely a name to keep an eye on as we progress throughout fall camp, because I think he's going to make some noise this season. You know, I want to, I know we want to talk about kind of the other side of the ball. Um, And when you're going good on good with wide receivers, you've got some pretty good cornerbacks, but one, one guy I want to throw out there to you too, that I'm hearing a lot about is now that he's healthy and he's running full speed is, is Jack Besh and that people say his size, his route running ability and his speed. He all of a sudden is a guy that can play in the slot and do a lot of things. The smaller wide receivers can do JP Richardson and Jojo Earl, but can do them with a six foot two frame. Mm -hmm. I I mean, that 
like, again, I don't want to read too much into a guy we haven't seen a whole lot in the last last year or so. And he's kind of been dealing with some injury issues. But if he is what we're seeing that he is, if he's even 85% of that in the season, he's going to be a difference maker for TCU. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he was the leading receiver for LSU two years ago. Yeah. Right. And from the tight end position. So he's a little bit of a smaller frame for a true tight end. I mean, he's 6'2", 205, 210 compared to Jared Wiley, who is 6'7", yeah. 260. But, uh, you know, I, I think he's got that skill set that you mentioned where he can play inside, he can play out, he can be a, a dynamic uh, receiver in this offense. And he's just another weapon along with all these receivers that uh, has an opportunity right to contribute uh, if Chandler Morris succeeds this season it uh, it's it's going to be a, a lot of the reason because he's he's a good quarterback but also because he has a whole host of wide receivers um at his disposal to throw to uh, i mean take your pick and as a yeah. defensive secondary like if you're game planning for TCU okay well who are you going to game plan to stop? This is kind of the conversation we had last year with, all right, are you, you're obviously going to double QJ, but then, all right, you've got Tay Barber and Darius that you've got to worry about. You've got Kendry Miller coming out of the backfield. Yeah. It's a host of, a host of, of talent there. And, and it feels like as less experienced as some of it is this year, that that's still the case for TCU, at least on offense. Well, one of the things I like about this wide receiver group is that if you go in the two and three deep, you have a guy that does something different well, mm -hmm. you know, so it's not like a bunch of carbon copy guys. It's, it's guys that have some various skill sets, which means you can really mix and match in your formations and put a bunch of speed on the field or speed and size or really precise route running against speed and size. I mean, it, mm -hmm. it feels like the kind of the machinations of what this offense can look like on a, on a series to series down to down basis. There's so much flexibility. It, it's all like, you know, like you said, Chandler has a great season. We're going to be looking and saying, man, he, he really figured out how to utilize his talent. We're also going to be saying, oh, they finally figured out the mix and match of the offensive line that works mm -hmm. because that's another thing that, that we're seeing. And there've been a lot of changes and it, and it seems like AJ Ricker has, has done a lot of kind of moving guys around, which week one of the fall camp maybe isn't as concerning. And it feels like they're kind of starting to slot into the positions where they're ultimately going to be, but there's still a lot of concerns as far as what that line is ultimately going to look like. And if the right guys can step up and play the best positions for the team as a whole. I think we're a little bit closer to that than we were even two or three days ago though. Yeah, I would hope so. I mean, you're right. He has been mixing and matching a lot. Uh, he rolled uh, Brandon Coleman and uh, Andrew Coker into the guard spots on the first day of fall <laughs> camp, which is a really disconcerting thing to see. Yeah. Um, you're like, Oh God, I hope that's not like a signal of what's to come, but um, he's been mixing and matching a lot. He's been giving eight to 10 guys, a lot of reps, uh, at different spots. And I really think he's doing uh, the best comparison that I have for what, for what coach Ricker is doing right now is kind of what we see Jamie Dixon doing in the mm. non-conference every year, where he's trying to figure out what his rotation looks like. Okay. He's trying to figure out what guys play really well with each other, what guys communicate well with each other. And it's not necessarily about finding the best guy for a specific position. It's about finding the best five guys that work mm -hmm. well together who can block as a unit. And I think that's kind of the experimentation that we're seeing right now, this early on in fall camp is who we're going to, who, who's going to be the, the five guys that, that make up that offensive line. I will say the last two days, we've seen a little bit more of the same five playing at times. That's Andrew Coker at left tackle, Brandon Coleman at left guard, Colton Deary at center. That's Willis Patrick at right guard. And that's Michael Nichols 
at right tackle. So we've seen that one start to bubble to the surface a little bit. I don't know if it's going to hold through into even week two of fall camp, more or less the start of the regular season, but we're starting to see him feel out where these guys may fit with each other, kind of like a, a big puzzle. Um, but I, I, we'd be remiss too. And I wanted to mention this name. We didn't mention this name at all from a wide receiver perspective on the big 40 questions episode that we did a couple episodes back. But Dylan Wright is getting really close to being cleared to play. He's a Minnesota transfer. He was originally a Texas A&M, didn't work out there, ended up at, at Minnesota for the last couple se- or for the last year. And uh, got took the summer, had to, had to get eligible, had to take some classes, finish up some stuff at Minnesota. He was expected to be cleared and ready to practice on Tuesday. So if you're listening to this on Tuesday, look for a tweet. Uh, from me or Jeremy or, or Melissa or Steven or whoever uh, about whether or not Dylan Wright is actually out of practice, because if he's there, that's another big yeah. outside wide receiver who has a proven track record of making some pretty impressive catches um, that is getting added to the wide receiver room and thus getting added to Chandler Morris's arsenal. Well, you talk about some of these top end wide receivers and, you know, we, we talk about what do you learn about in fall camp? Well, one thing we can take something away from, especially with TCU this year is when they go good on good and they go ones on ones. And one of the guys who's really stepped up defensively, I want to talk about two guys in the secondary first and foremost, because we got to talk about him because he's been really impressive and as good as advertises Avery Helm at cornerback. But then I also want to talk about the battle between Miller Bradford and Josh Newton. Because you can look at that one of two ways. We'll get to that in a second of mm-hmm. which ways we're looking at that. But um, Avery Helm and Josh Newton, am I right to be really fired up about how good those guys have looked through this first week of camp and how the potential that this secondary has, if those two can hold up um, in coverage, which it looks like we've got another, once again, an elite duo at cornerback. Look, uh, it's it's never easy to lose a Thorpe award yeah. there. Right. Like that's I mean, it's been easy about. for TCU. We just keep replacing sure, them with yeah, other you mean, reward winners. Exactly. Right? Yeah. And, and so yeah, it's definitely gonna be exactly what happens again. But I, yeah. I mean, how do I say how do I say this? It's not easy to lose a Thorpe Award winner. It never is easy to do that. And replacing Trey Hodges Tomlinson will be a major feat for Carlton Buckles as the cornerbacks coach and for Joe Gillespie as a defensive coordinator. I say all of that. But I'm hearing a no, but. No, there's no but. There is an and? and. Okay. And I personally, Jamie, personally, opinion is only mine, maybe others, but right now only mine. I personally don't think TCU lost their best cornerback off last year's team. Ooh. I think Josh, and, and I said that last year at times. Yeah, that's I th- true. You know, I, I, there's a track record of me staying, saying this. Yeah. Josh Newton was, if not always, at times, TCU's best cornerback last year. And he is clearly TCU's number one cornerback this year. And I think that when you have a corner who plays at that level for multiple seasons, that's a really impressive thing to have. When you layer on top of that, the type of leader that Josh Newton is, you have very little doubt that anybody who is also playing his position more, you know, not even talking about playing defense or just on the team in general, anybody else who's playing his position is going to be held at the highest standard possible Mm -hmm. for performance and expectation. Um, He is that type of dude. I know because I've talked to him a ton. He is a good human being. You were here for media days. You got to talk to him too. Like he is a good dude. He is smart. He is, 
I don't know, like divinely inspired. Yeah. Good works team member. Like he does, he does all of the things that you want the face of your franchise to do. An example of this on Saturday at practice, they finished their first team session. They were breaking back out to do individual drills. Uh, Jalen Robinson flash the transfer from Ole Miss who started his career at, at central Florida is finally healthy again. Probably another big part of this wide receiver room this year. If he can stay healthy, walked up to Newton and said, Hey, what coverage were you in on that first play? And Newton runs through it in his head and starts to break down and he starts to walk Robinson through. Yeah. So this is my, this is my responsibility on the plan. And he's just like off the top, they had run through a whole team session, right? Mm -hmm. Probably 25, 30 plays. They were breaking out to Indy drill. They had already done some other stuff prior to that in practice. They were working on special team stuff. And he just in a minute, in a moment recalled the play call, what Jalen did on that play, what the other receivers did on that play, what the rest of the secondary's responsibilities were, what the linebackers respond. And he's, I'm standing there probably 10, 15 feet away, just listening to him explain all of this to Jalen Robinson. And he's doing it in like 90 seconds, 120 Mm -hmm. seconds. Just like, yeah, and he's over here. And my responsibility is this side of the hash and it just cuts down the middle. And then you ran this post and da, da, da. And he's just bright. And so it's, it's a mind like that plus all of the leadership qualities plus the elite level of play that we've seen on the field leading this cornerbacks unit. And so you bring a guy who's naturally talented, like Avery Helm into this mix, plus Channing Canada, plus some of the other guys at corner that they brought in this year. And uh, I mean, it's a recipe for success. I mean, it probably makes Carlton Buckle's job really yeah, easy heck of a lot when you think about, Oh, he's, he's essentially a co-coach. Yeah. with Josh Newton. He gets to hand off some of that responsibility to him. So yeah, I'm well, very excited about the cornerbacks this year. Needless to say, you know, and I think one of the things is that in, in any, anyone that's watched TCU football in the last four years would say that what Travis Hodges Tomlinson did, he often did despite, right. Or in mm-hmm. spite of some of his physical limitations. And so he was a, a guy that played with a ton of heart with a ton of energy with a ton of enthusiasm you know, Josh Newton has the more, and Avery Helm for sure, are the more prototypical body that you want in a corner as far mm-hmm. as, you know, size still has the speed, all of those things too. And so he has the same heart, the same grit, the same tenacity, um, the same, you know, I thought, I think THD had a great football IQ as well. That's why he's mm-hmm. been drafted by I mean, the he's NFL a Ram, team. Right. He's a yeah. Los Angeles Ram. So, that says a lot yeah. about who he is. But, but you, you take all of those tendencies and you put them in it and, and it's because he had to fight up, right? He was always an underdog. He always was fighting mm-hmm. against the stereotypes. Well, Josh Newton still has that tenacity and that attitude, but then he also is, you know, over six feet tall and a little bit bigger, more physically capable. I mean, he has a chance with another good season, you know, if, if teams are willing to throw at him, which I think they're going to have to, if, if Avery Helm can step up to, to elevate himself into being a, a potentially, you know, a second, third round pick. Um, the NFL is always going to be looking for a guy like that who can do it on the field and in the locker room. Yeah. And I think he also still feels disrespected, right? Yeah. I mean, he started his career, <laughs> he started his career at Louisiana Monroe, right? He didn't have yeah. a ton of offers out of, out of uh, high school. He, he went to ULM and every, if you ask him about ULM, he has nothing but praise, nothing but yeah. good things to say. Um, I think it was after spring ball last year, someone asked him about the transition from ULM to TCU and kind of framed the question in a way that made it seem like, Hey, aren't you glad that you're at a school Mm. that can afford things now? Mm. It wasn't asked that crassly, but it was kind of like, that's kind of what it was intimating. And 
Josh kind of caught back a little bit and he said, look, I love ULM. I love Louisiana Monroe that they couldn't help that they could only do as much as they could do. Like from a facility standpoint, from taking care of us, like I owe, I owe that place my opportunity here. Right. And, and so he talked about, you know, the love that he has for ULM and, and, and the, the gratitude that he has for that place that, you know, he holds a degree from and um, how that, experience and that opportunity at ULM is what got him the experience and opportunity at TCU. So uh, really just intelligent, humble, down-to-earth guy who uh, I think recognizes the opportunity that's still in front of him and is going to make the most of it. Yeah, he's the best. Um, we could talk about Josh Newton all podcast. I, yeah, talk- I could do I could do two, yeah, three hours. He's on great. He's great. Uh, let's talk about another Josh. Uh, a yeah. guy that's been on the team for a really long time um, who has played, has been kind of pushed into duty on multiple occasions. And at times has, has kind of been the object of some level of scorn for the TCU fan base. Um, but Josh uh, uh, Foster has been around this program, has played every <clears throat> position. It feels like in the secondary has done nothing, but keep his head down and work his tail off. And right now is running with the ones over mm-hmm. Miller Bradford, who was a starter for most of last season. Is this that they just need Nook to step up or is Josh Foster just improved so much that he has legitimately beat out a guy who helped TCU win a Fiesta Bowl last, last season? I think it's option C. I don't think he's, I don't think it's a motivator for Nook. I don't think it's a Josh has already won the job situation. Sonny talked about it earlier this week uh, and he really just said, there's going to be a competition there. There's going to be a competition for that third spot. Um, it was Nick Bradford's until it wasn't last year. Cause he got banged yeah. up and Foster came in and at times had some success at other times didn't. Um, and you saw when Bradford got healthy again, that they yeah. continued to kind of rotate at that spot. And so I think the coaching staff is really still trying to figure out who the guy is going to be there. I don't think they want to keep rotating 50, 50, like they did near the end of last year. I think they want a guy to establish himself as the number one dude. Um, but that just simply hasn't happened yet. Now, Foster has been running with the ones more than than Bradford has. Um, we'll see if that continues into week two or if it doesn't. But uh, it's definitely something to track as, as fall camp continues on. It's, I've seen a couple other people say this, but I'd, I'd say this as well. I think the, the position group I'm least worried about defensively right now is um, the secondary, regardless of who is mm-hmm. running in that spot. Like, that's yeah. all pretty solid. Absolutely. Um, Really quickly, let's talk. highlight a couple of freshmen. Um, we got, who knew we were going to go off uh, forever on fall camp, but there's been a lot of great things to talk about and it's football and we're excited. Um, but a couple of true freshmen, um, you you gave us a good list here, but I really want to talk about Jonathan Bax and Marcus Deal, both of whom look like they're going to be important pieces of the defensive rotation at linebacker and on the defensive line, um, respectively. Uh, is, is again, is this a the older guys just haven't stepped up or are these guys so talented? It's going to be tough to keep them off the field. Even as true freshmen Uh, for, well, really for both of them, it's, it's the latter. It's the, they're that good. They're that talented. They're that game. Neither of them right now. look like freshmen. No. Like and I mean, with stretch, backs, yeah. I mean, we had, we had all of spring to get to know Jonathan yeah. backs a little bit. He's running with twos mostly in fall camp right now. Namdi Obiezor who slid down from safety has been the number one at that kind of star linebacker position that was vacated by D winners. He's going to get the first shot, I think at being the starter in that role, but Jonathan Bax is right there ready to rock. You know, you've got Shad Banks who's sliding over to the second string middle linebacker. Um, So he's kind of backing up uh, Johnny a little bit more there. And um, you know, it's, it's going to be really interesting to see kind of how this all shakes out. But I think, the thing that Joe Gillespie personally loves about this linebacker unit is that for now, pretty much everybody's healthy. 
And he's got, I mean, you think about this linebacker unit last year, they lost two of their second stream linebackers before or during the first game of the season to season ending injuries and Terrence cooks and um, Thomas Armstrong. And so, you know, the fact that they've got a little bit more depth at that position now and that Jonathan Bax is a part of that is a really good sign, I think, for the future of that position. For Marcus, I mean, he's just a monster. He he wasn't on campus campus in the spring. He just got here like in June and he is a freak. He's fast. They played him a little bit at, on, on the edge the last couple of days in practice as well, trying to get him and Don Williams both out there at the same time Ooh, to mix it up. Right? Like, and now you're starting to talk about, okay, there may not be as much depth as we want at the defensive line spot right now, but you've got guys like Marcus Steele. You've got another freshman in Zach Chapman who's been tearing it up. He's in, he's already 6'6, 260. They're rolling him out there at defensive end. You've, I mean, you've got Paul Oyewale. You've got Mike, uh, Michael Labukun Okayode, right? Like they've got some unproven talent, but they've got some talent. You've got Caleb Fox coming back. He looks like 20 pounds heavier which is probably going to be good for him in the long run in this defense because he's going to be playing inside and out. Uh, And and so you've got maybe not as much depth as you would like or as much proven depth as you would like, but you still have enough bodies to be getting on with uh, from a defensive line standpoint. And some of those younger guys are definitely going to be a big part of that this year. Yeah, I I think that the depth, the fact that you can go too deep with guys that, you know, you, you've got a lot of confidence in that are super athletic at the linebacker position. It's got to make people feel better after how devastating, mm-hmm. how devastated by injury that position group got a season ago. Um, one last freshman, just to, to touch on here really quick. Uh, anytime I see a video out of fall camp, it seems like it's always Cam Cook doing something ridiculous. Um, running back, there's a lot of depth. There's a lot of experience. Obviously, they're replacing, um, you know, uh, uh, one of the, the best running backs in college football and Kendra Miller, another guy who's going to get a lot of snaps uh, with the New Orleans Saints this year. Uh, but Cam Cook is doesn't seem like he's content to be kind of that third or fourth guy that he's really fighting to get more snaps and to be a bigger part of this offense. To clarify, they're replacing the best running back they've had since LT, but that's just me. That's just my opinion. Anyway, it's hard to argue that. It's hard to argue. Anyways, there are a lot. There were a lot of incredible running backs between LT and Kendrick Miller. Anyways, that's not what we're talking about here. Yeah, you're really. Uh, These are the clips I'm gonna cut by the way and put on social and tag. We got, some takes. we got yeah, some takes. We got some takes. Yes. Um, we got some hot takes going. Fall camp is here. I'm ready for football. To quote Michael Scott for the second time in this episode, I am ready to get hurt again. Um, Cam Cook looks really good at times, and he looks like a freshman at times. Yeah. And I think that's not a negative thing at all. That's just when he's running. And when he's in pass pro. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And, yeah. you know, I think he's got some things to work on, but there's no doubt that the talent is there. And like you said, there are a couple guys in front of him that are going to get the bulk of the carries. I mean, you got Trey Sanderson from Alabama. You've got year two, uh, Imani Bailey, yeah. who has looked outstanding so far in fall camp. I mean, yes, it's just a week and all the caveats apply, but he just looked very, very good. Uh, and then you've got a healthy Corey Wren who uh, we didn't see a lot from last year after he transferred in from Florida state, but could, could work his way into the rotation a little bit. And then you still got Trent battle as well. Yeah. The um, yes. You know, uh, what's it? The, the swing pass out of the backfield. Yeah. The wheel route, the wheel route out of the backfield, just demon um, and Trent battle. And so you've got four running backs there that are all kind of vying for some playing time and Cam cook's going to be a part of that. How much, he gets is kind of up to him. I think at this point, uh, as far as all of his kind of um, other aspects of, of being a complete running back in college, the blocking, the, the, the catching passes out of the backfield, all the other kind of stuff that goes along with that. So 
I mean, he's an impressive kid. He was one of the highest rated kids in the 2023 class, but because of the depth of that position, I don't know how much we're going to see him on the field this yeah. year. We'll see him at times, certainly. Um, but I, I don't know how much or, or how frequently. Jamie, you know what you and I both see every time we open up our closet, speaking of seeing things oh God. a lot, <laughs> not, not my best segue, but I'm proud of it. Nonetheless, hey, um, we're going to roll with it. Yeah. Uh, we see a lot of Hopefield apparel, um, because Hopefield apparel is another sponsor of frogs and cider. Uh, mm-hmm. the softest hoodies and t-shirts. I, I need to say purveyor of the softest hoodies and t-shirts. Cause you wrote that. And anytime I get to use the word purveyor in a sentence, I'm going to go ahead and use it. Thank you. Um, I thought you wrote that one. That's why I copied it oh, into this, but okay. It, who knows? I, you know, we're, we're just so in sync on purveyoring. Um, <laughs> you and I in our great vocabularies, uh, it's true. you're rocking a home field shirt right now. Um, I am rocking some St. Francis, but that's okay. Um, I have plenty of home field. I actually just went through all of my home field t-shirt and sweatshirt co- collection yesterday and cleaned everything up. Um, and, and, and what I learned is there were a lot of them. That's what I learned. I have too much home field apparel, but you know what? There's also no such thing as too much home field apparel, especially when you can save 50% on your first order and 10% on any of your subsequent orders. Uh, the code frogs in 15 F R O G S I N 15. We'll save you 15% off. Uh, do you want to spell frogs yeah. one more time? No, I do not actually. Um, if you're listening to this, hopefully you know how to spell the word frogs. Um, Again, it's been a very long day. We'll, uh, post, six it hours, in, we'll post it in the show yeah, notes too post, on Spotify. Post the show notes, yeah. Six hours of professional development find a, find a, yep, followed by... Uh, Crushing yep, it. Okay. okay, so frogs in F-R-O-G-S-I-N-1-5. 50% off your first purchase, 10% off any subsequent purchases. Again, Home Field Apparel, uh, great stuff for TCU, great stuff for a lot of big 12 teams and other teams in Texas. The UTEP collection was chef's kiss. They've oh, got yes. updated uh, Kansas, Kansas State coming out this week, as well as some other things. Uh, you know, you never know who's going to be the next uh, team to join the Big 12 Conference, as we're about to talk about. But I can almost guarantee you, Home Field Apparel has already got a line for them. Because um, one of the schools that they don't have a line for yet uh, isn't going to be joining the Big 12 after all, after maybe some smoke around uh, Stanford University. So we don't, we don't have to worry worry about them not being a Home Field <laughs> school. But everybody else, uh, you can find all kinds of good stuff. All your Big Ten schools, um, like you know Oregon, Washington, USC, UCLA, uh, some of your ACC schools, which could be future Big Twelve schools. Uh, it's, it's could even be right. SMU. Who knows? Could even be SMU. We don't know anything anymore. Um, what we do know: Arizona, Arizona State, and Utah. The much rumored about final third of the corner school uh, quadrant are now Big 12 members. TC gets reunited with Utah, which has been um, one of the great rivalries from the Mountain West Conference. Um, Arizona and Arizona State, there's quite a basketball rivalry burgeoning with those couple of programs after playing mm-hmm. each school in the last two NCAA tournaments. Uh, you add some great baseball um, in those schools. You add some great women's athletics in those schools. Um, it feels kind of like a home run, once again, for Brett Yormark in the Big 12. I think it was the obvious choice and there was a long winding path to get there, to get these schools in the big 12. And a lot of things had to go wrong for the PAC 12. We've documented that pretty meticulously throughout the process on this show. I did a, a an episode last week that was freestanding about realignment that, that went back and documented some of it as well. Um, but the reality is, is that if there were teams from that, 
side of the country that were going to get added to the Big 12, these are the four that make sense in Colorado, Utah, Arizona, and Arizona State. How they got here is disappointing for a variety of reasons. Um, I know you're lamenting the the eventual dissolution of the Pac-12 like so many folks are. Um, I less so admittedly, but I'm still, you know, it's, it's hard to watch traditions go away. Um, I'm thankful that in this instance of college football realignment, that a couple rivalries are preserved with Arizona and Arizona state and Utah and BYU being a conference rivalry again, instead of a non-conference one. Um, I'm excited that Colorado gets to play with some of its former big eight teammates or uh, conference mates in Kansas, Kansas state, Iowa state, and Oklahoma State. I'm very much looking forward to those games kicking back up. And who can forget the fact that for 35, sorry, 25 years, Texas Tech was in the border conference with Arizona yeah. and Arizona State, right? So long, I mean, they, Texas Tech has played four schools in the new Big 12 more than they've played Arizona. Wow. Right? And wow. so, I mean, they've played like 35, 45 games against each other. That's going to be a really fun thing to renew and i suggested on twitter earlier this week that they should call it the saguaro showdown they didn't like that and i don't understand why but i'm making shirts anyways uh, i do think that this was a good move for the big 12 when the reality of conference realignment is you're either gonna you're either gonna eat someone or you're gonna be eaten the acc is kind of next up on the menu for what happens to that conference is florida state going to throw enough of a fit are they going to get enough saudi money to just buy their way out of the acc Uh, i don't know but maybe you know they're looking at private equity and we know what private investment fund is out there that's really into american sports right now so who knows Um, they're working with jp morgan chase to figure all of that out but when we start to think about the next wave of college football realignment you kind of hinted at it um Uh, And I mentioned this, I wrote an article about this last, uh, I guess on Friday evening, um, uh, the perfect time to break news uh, that the big 12 presidents, yeah, it's, it's excellent. The big 12 uh, presidents along with voting in Arizona state and Utah had also voted to explore expansion to 18 teams. So the potential of adding a 17th and 18th team um, that is something that they voted on and approved on Friday. And then we get a quote, uh, a tweet from Brett McMurphy on Monday afternoon that says uh, from a Big 12 source, the conference has, quote, no interest in doing anything, end quote, regarding expansion that says we're done. Um, That's a change of tone from the Friday meeting that they had where they voted to approve the exploration of expansion, right? They didn't have necessarily specific teams in mind, although they did. Uh, some of those teams that they had been in conversation with were Oregon state and San Diego state. Those turned out to really not be good fits for a variety of reasons. They circled back around to Yukon again, like they've done a couple of times over the last eight or nine months, because there is a genuine interest in, in Yukon from Brett or Mark. He wants Yukon. He wants that New York market. He wants to enhance basketball more and have more of a Northeast coast presence for big 12 basketball, all of which fits into the plan that he has said publicly a couple of different times now where he wants to re he wants to explore the, the option of spinning basketball off into its own media rights deal. The next time around, uh, he thinks that basketball is wildly undervalued. There are some other indicators that that might be the case. Um, 
And so he's looking to, to kind of bolster that for the conference as well. But in reality, uh, after apparently a long weekend of conversations with a couple of different schools, including Stanford, uh, they have determined that they are not going to move beyond 16 at this time. Hmm. I don't think it's a coincidence that on the same day we learned that within minutes of learning that, or maybe even before learning that, as far as McMurphy's suite about the Big 12 saying, quote, we're done, um, Stanford and Cal apparently have advanced pretty quickly in conversations with the ACC, who is, like I mentioned a moment ago, next up to either eat or be eaten uh, in this world of realignment. And how that works fully I don't think that they're far down that road. I think they're still kind of having those preliminary conversations. The last I heard was that at least for Stanford, it would be football only and the rest of their sports would join the West coast conference if this was to happen at all. Um, But there are some complexities to bringing a team into the ACC right now. I mean, you consider uh, what their ESPN and Disney media rights agreement has as far as a pro rata clause. Do they have, pro rata clauses like the big 12 did where they can expand and other other schools don't lose money because if they do i don't know why they'd be uh if they do have a pro rata i can understand why they're looking to expand and maybe solidify if they don't have a pro rata i don't understand why they'd be asking their conference members who are already concerned about the amount of their amount of money they're making relative to the big 10 and sec to take even less money right that doesn't make sense to me um their grant of rights uh, I found a copy of it online. Um, a student apparently filed a Freedom of Information Act with mm-hmm. the ACC a, a couple of years ago as they were doing some sort of research paper and published it online. So that is available for everybody to read. Um, and it's, I mean, it's a grant, it's a standard grant of rights. It goes a little bit further than a standard grant of rights by saying that even if a school leaves the conference, the ACC still owns that school's broadcast rights. through the end of the grant of rights contract with the ACC. So like right now, Florida state would have to figure out a way to get out of the ACC owning their broadcasting rights, even if they went to the sec through 2036. So we're talking hundreds. Fleece the hell out of the ACC. So we're talking hundreds of millions of dollars to get out of this thing. Thus why Florida state is talking with, private equity and JP Morgan chase, but I digress. There there are so many things that, that, you know, that you have that conversation, you bring those things up that make me think, but the one thing that's really sticking with me right now, can you imagine Stanford women's basketball, one of the most decorated programs, women's programs outside of UConn and Tennessee playing in the West coast conference. I mean, they're going to be like Gonzaga, right? They're going to, they're just going to boat race that whole conference. That's not even going to be fun. I would it, love to see Stanford wo- women's. Like, I would love to see Stanford women's basketball play Baylor every year. Yeah. I'd love that. I'd love to see them play Iowa state every year and Texas. Well, yeah. not Texas, I guess, but um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I, it doesn't look like the Stanford to the big 12 is happening. And I think the big 12 did a little bit of damage control today by, by saying that, that they were not going to expand further, that they were not exploring any options, but um. Mm. Yeah, this next round of, of realignment could get a little tricky for the ACC, depending on how grant of rights and, and media rights stuff works out for them. Um, but yeah, like you mentioned, I don't know. I don't know what happens with Stanford at this point. I don't know what happens with Cal. Yeah. I don't think they would be content in the Mountain West. Cal also has like 
close to $500 million in athletics debt right now. Yeah. And, totally and, different. and so they're, I mean, they're a whole different kind of animal if you're talking about bringing them into a conference and, and if they can't, you know, I, I think if, if they get hit by a smaller, you know, annual revenue from a conference like the mountain West or the AAC, yeah. I just don't see how half of that athletics department, if not more survives. Yeah something like that. It, it's also really, you know, I don't want to forget about Washington state and Oregon state, you know, mm-hmm. who, who didn't ask for any of this, you know, they have not been flirting and with other conferences. The and, random, you know. the random stray bullet that they caught on yeah. Monday too, yeah. where someone said that a, a PAC 12 school reached out to the big 12 at some point last week and said, could you take all nine of us except for Oregon state and Washington state? Like what? And I, I, based on the schools that are in other conferences now and the schools that aren't, you can kind of narrow down who was maybe asking yeah. that question, but I mean, there are only two other options, but, and really there's only one, but anyway, anywho, it is kind of a bummer for not kind of, it is a huge bummer for Oregon state and Washington state that they find themselves in this position of, you know, just not their own doing, frankly. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I think there's what, what we've learned over the last week is and what we've learned over the last couple of years is we're not done yet more dominoes right. are going to fall. We're going to see a lot more things get shook up. Um, it's, it's far from over. Um, I know you're going to do more on this later this week. Um, but I think, I think you need to just, we need to at least touch on the, the Arizona state comments, just, yes. just a little bit. The, the president, the athletic director, um, system out of pocket stuff happening. Would you just joined a new conference and immediately go ahead and try to make enemies, um, in that conference when, like at the end of the day, the Big 12, 100% through Arizona State, a life raft, mm-hmm. um, a life raft that's going to make the Big 12 money, but a life raft nonetheless. Yeah. So first we heard, uh, and I talked about, I didn't talk about this in the last, last episode because it happened after I recorded, but Arizona and Arizona State share the same Board of Regents. And they had a meeting on Thursday of last week to talk about the possibility of you know, what's going to happen with the Pac-12. We have the, we've had these conversations with the Big 12. You know, do we go together? Does Arizona go alone? And and Arizona State Michael uh, President Michael Crow was really adamant about staying in the Pac-12 and signing the Apple deal and signing the new grant of rights. He was on the committee that hired Larry Scott. He was one of the largest and loudest vocal supporters of Larry Scott throughout his tenure. So tells, you, tells you a lot about him, right? And and he was very intent, it seemed, for the duration of this process on staying in the Pac-12, hell or hot, come hell or high water. And even in the midst of a press conference, after Arizona State has already said they are going to the Big 12, after the votes have already happened, everything is formalized. He's standing out at an Arizona State football practice. You hear like rap music blaring in the background. And he's talking about how he wanted to stay in the Pac-12 and how they had this 23rd century Star Wars type Apple Corporation deal where you were going to have access to all Pac-12 sports at the touch of a button on your mobile device, no matter where you were in the world. And you could stop it and restart it and rewatch it and fast forward at any point in time. And I'm like, brother, have you not been a part of streaming apps for the last yeah. five to 10 years? I mean, anybody who has Apple TV already knows you can do that with Ted Lasso. Like that's not an impressive 23rd century thing. And that's not even the problem with the contract. The contract, the problem with the contract was you didn't just get it with Apple TV. You had to pay on top of Apple TV 
to get it. You had to sell subscriptions like you're you're standing outside a grocery store selling Girl Scout cookies to make a buck. And if you sold enough of those Girl Scout cookies, then you would be making what the Big 12 was making annually. And if you sold a little bit more of those Girl Scout cookies, then you'd be making what the ACC was making annually. And then you'd be making what the Big 10 and the SEC are making annually. By the way, to get to what the Big 12 was making annually, they were going to have to sell 1.7 million subscriptions. Hmm. Do you know how many total subscriptions Apple TV currently has? I'm going to guess it's not much more than that currently. 1.2 million subscriptions. And they got like a 300,000 subscription bump thanks to Lionel Messi. Yeah. So, I mean, you're going to tell me that the Pac-12 was about to come in here and more than double Apple TV subscription numbers and pay more on top of that Apple subscription? To get to the Big Ten's number of 50 million a year, they're going to have to sell 5 million subscriptions. Yeah, it's not going like, to What are we, what are we, what's the argument here? And so he comes in and he starts to talk about how great this Apple Corp deal was and how much he wanted to sign it and how content he was going to be to sign this grant of rights. Uh, and I mean, he went on to say some nice things about the Big 12 as well down the road when I think he realized what he was saying out loud to media folk about the Apple deal. But uh, it was a very interesting take from a guy who, according to Pac-12 journalists, uh, Jason Shear specifically, is a guy who is a little bit disconnected from reality when it comes to athletics specifically. He's done a great job from an academic standpoint, I guess, of of running Arizona State, but athletics isn't really his forte. That's the athletic director, Ray Anderson, who in one of his opening statements about being in the Big 12 said that he was never going to go to Morgantown. Buddy, I don't think you understand how conferences work. And I also don't think you understand how I'm going to cuss. I don't think you understand how fucking awesome Morgantown is. Yeah, also that. That is one of the best game day experiences I have ever had. As a non-media yeah, person, as a media person, it is incredible yeah. to go up there Great. and ex- experience a football game. You walk, I mean, they convert a hospital parking lot yep. into a tailgate scene. And it's amazing. Where you can freely access every flavor of moonshine you could possibly imagine. And some that you couldn't imagine. Yeah. And everybody is going to welcome you. And I I said this on Twitter and some people were like, oh, I had a beer can thrown at me. Tell me a place where you haven't had a beer can thrown at you if you're wearing the opposite colors. But every time I've been in Morgantown, I've walked through that tailgate and I have been met with nothing yeah. but we're glad you're here. Have this moonshine. And I'm like, I can't because I'm working. They're like, try this moonshine. And I say, okay. And it's great. It's a good time. I love Morgantown. I will always stand for Morgantown. Yeah. And Ray Anderson was out of pocket for coming out and immediately insulting one of the coolest fan bases in the Big 12. I, I will say, I have a feeling he was more maybe about the travel portion of this. We're going to give him the benefit of the doubt, but regardless. You can. Morgantown rules. I love my experience there. Even when uh, Kenny Hill immediately threw a pick six and it was snowing and we were losing like 40 to nothing before I'd even finished my first beer. But that was a was tough a one. I was up there was for that too. One. That sucked really bad. Yeah, I was, was cold, tough. which is the worst version of me that you yeah. can get on any yeah. given day. Uh, yeah, it was tough. Yeah, but still, tough, but it was. I had a blast. Thought a great mm-hmm. time. Um, so, yeah. well, guess what? He will be going to Morgantown. Well, if he sends his if he sends his associate AD, that associate AD is going to come back and be like, "Yeah, you can send me to Morgantown every year. That's yeah. that's cool." Yeah. Speaking of people getting sent places, TC basketball. Played a little mm-hmm. overseas basketball right now. Uh, nice little come uh, as we're recording this on Monday. Nice little 
uh, second half explosion from the Horned Frogs in their opening game out in Paris. Um, Michael Peavy led the team in scoring. That's something that we we may start having to get used to saying a little bit more. Um, he's definitely expanded his offensive game. That's going to be more of an emphasis with TCU replacing Damian Baugh, Mike Miles, and others. Um, but he he looked like he had a great day. Um, both the freshmen dropped a couple a couple of good baskets. Isaiah Manning, Jace, Jace Posey had uh, eight apiece. Manning added a couple of steals, few steals there. Uh, five players in double figures, and Jameer Nelson Jr. and Jacoby Coles each had five assists. So I, I love the idea. I can't wait to see more of this, of some of the offense running through Jacoby Coles because of what his offensive skill set is. I'm sure that he creates um, a lot of passing lanes and cutting lanes for guys because of his ability to shoot from, from outside. Um, so there might be some exciting wrinkles that we pick up on over these uh, handful of games that they're playing overseas. But, hey, TC basketball is playing. They're playing actual games against actual competition, maybe not the highest level competition we're going to see, but pretty cool to to get that content from overseas and, and see the guys having fun together. Um, you can tell that they're really starting to to gel as a team and as a program and then playing some good basketball in their first game um, as, as the new look TCU. Yeah. And, you know, we talked with, we, we had the opportunity as, as media to talk to some of the guys before they left uh, on Friday, I guess a week ago, Monday. And, you know, Ernest Uday Jr., who, just got here a couple of weeks ago from Kansas um, said that he was really excited for this trip. One, because it's an international trip and those are really fun. But two, he was like, this is the first time we get to see what this team is yeah. on the court against a different team that we get to compete against. And so I know that these guys were really looking forward to that opportunity. Like you said, it might not be the best competition out there. I think they put up what 110 today yeah, on like the, uh, I'm not even going to try to say what that team's name was. They were the all-stars. Um, but uh, you know, it's, it's just, it's the the kind of the foundation, the building block for what is to come for this team this year. And when you have the opportunity to get all 17 guys, including the five walk-ons playing time uh, and everybody gets double digit minutes, ex- except for Tyler Lundblade, which I don't understand the video that we saw today. It was him throwing this beautiful lob to Micah. Um, but uh, to get them all that amount of time, to get them out there running together, playing together, vibing together in another country, it's only spelling good things for TC basketball mm-hmm. at this point that they're off to this kind of a start. Yeah, I think it's great. You know what else is spelling good things for TCU, but in the baseball diamond, mm. couple of hometown heroes coming back to the yes. selected field. Uh, I saw this news on Twitter. Um, Kirk Charles tweeted it out and, and, and saw the guys kind of retweet it. You know, it, it's a bittersweet moment. I'd imagine for an athlete who's pursuing their professional dreams and gets to us. We, we talked about this in, in the fumble town chat about, you know, you're not even 30 years old and you have to kind of have that moment of, Hey, I might not make it to, mm-hmm. to the big leagues. Um, but when your second option is come back to the school that you love, be a, a student assistant with the baseball program that you are part of and earn your degree for free. Hey, that's not a bad, that's not a bad backup plan. And that's exactly what Evan Skog and uh, Brian Howard are going to do. Uh, Skoggy and Howie back <laughs> at the baseball diamond for TCU. Uh, I can't even begin to imagine the impact that this is going to have on current players. Uh, two of the best to ever do it for TCU, two of the grittiest, hardest working, most loved players by the TCU fan base. The, the great vibes coming to the dugout. You could you add them and Mitchell Traver, who's been running TCU FCA for baseball for the last few years together. That's eleven college World Series worth of experience wow. between the three of them, and they're all around your baseball program every day now. 
right? And that's on top of some of the alum that have come back and gotten involved with the program since they've retired, like Brian Holiday and Jake Arrieta, who are both in town. I mean, you're talking about elite of the elite of TCU baseball alumni around this program more often than not helping coach these guys up into the guys that they need them to be to carry on the legacy of the program that was set before them. Like this is such a cool opportunity for Evan and Brian, not to mention Brian Howard is the subject of probably the funniest baseball meme I've ever seen by that Arizona state guy or Arizona, maybe Arizona. State, I can't remember. It was like a regional back when big game, Howie was still pitching for the frogs because he's seven feet tall and they did a little chart with the arrows and the like little indicator of how tall it was. It's just like seven goddamn feet tall. And it's the funniest thing I've ever seen. And the fact that he's back to work with some of the pitchers, the fact that Evan Skaug is back just coincidentally when maybe the best catcher since him yeah. is on campus right now. Uh, that's a huge thing. And, you know, I had the chance to catch up with Brian holiday at the flying T event last week or two weeks ago as well. He said that he's been around, he's been talking uh, with some of these catchers as well. And, you know, just the level of insight and wisdom and experience that these guys can now kind of hand over to the guys on the roster right now is so invaluable. Um, that experience is just invaluable. And then you pair it with arguably the best pitching coach in the country and Kirk Sarlos. And now he's the head coach and you pair it with a guy who really got his feet under him as a coach in the second half of the season last year. And TJ Bruce, you've got one of the best recruiters in the country and John Delora, you've got Kyle Winkler, who's still going to be on this staff in a non-coaching role, filling in as the director of player personnel. Uh, and then you bring in a guy with 33 years of coaching experience and Dave Lawn this off season. And I, I just like, this is a, hilarious amount of of coaching wealth and and experience knowledge that that the team is putting together and uh, i mean like you can't be a tcu baseball fan and not be excited about what the future of tcu baseball holds with the amount of just insane brilliance when it comes to baseball is is in that coaching room every single week now well and and just the character too Mm -hmm. you know you can talk about all the things on the field that these guys bring and obviously that's huge but when you have these young kids who are trying to learn how to do things the right way the tcu way so to speak and and they're going to learn from two of the gold standards as far as people on the field and off the field that's cool i I just i can't even imagine like to be a fly on the wall with evan skaug and carson bowen talking catching Mm -hmm. like how fun would that be you know like uh, you know cole klecker and, and brian howard talking pitching like that's that's really really cool um and it's just you know, I think that's one of the best things about TCU is they always talk about the frog fam, right? And, and guys coming home and time and time again, across all of the programs, we see, we see folks coming back um, and wanting to contribute. And, you know, these guys have futures and they're going to be preparing for careers to go off and do things probably outside of baseball. But the fact they want to come finish their degree and be a part of this program, you know, I think, I, I know Scalg, I think is married. I don't know what, what, Howie's situation is, but that they're willing to take that time and give back to this program because it gave something to them. That's how you know things are being done the right way. And we've seen it in football and Tony Dykes done a great job con- uh, continuing that. We see Jamie Dixon is starting to, to find ways to get the alum back involved in the program. And then of course, um, what, what Kirk is doing with baseball is, is huge as well. So um, that, you, you know, you're doing things right when folks want to come back. And even in the, even cool. in the face of regime change too, right? Yeah. Like yeah. these are, these are Gary's guys that are coming back Yeah, and now getting in with Sonny and, and being a part of the program and being incorporated back into the frog family again. And, huge. I mean, Kirk was here, right? So it's a little bit of a different situation than yeah. from when Schloss left, but the fact that this is happening in the midst of coaching changes, when you look at a school like down the road, like SMU, where a lot of those guys never felt welcome again. Yeah. 
when coaches changed over, like when yeah. June Jones got there or when other coaches got there, I know Sonny did a lot over there as well to try and, and make that a thing of the past and bring some of the alumni back. But uh, it, it speaks to, and, and every coach that's currently at TCU, even outside of the big three sports will tell you this, it speaks to the overarching culture of the athletics department, yep. not just the culture of any individual program. And it's, it's just a wild, very, things can't be very unique. It's a wild, unique situation for college athletics to have an athletics department that seems to be in as lockstep and culturally aligned as TCU yeah. is at this moment in time. Well, when you can, when you can ask of the alum, when, when you have alum that want to be there, when you're not asking anything of them, they're more likely to be there when you need them. Yep. And, and I think that relationship building uh, is foundationally super important to the future of university, especially in the changing landscape of college athletics as we know it. And with NIL and the transfer portal, every relationship matters and it matters mm -hmm. at a different level than it ever has. Um, yep. It also matters that we end this thing at some point. So yes. um, we, we barely, barely over an hour this time. I, I feel like we're getting better, but also... Yeah. It's only going to get worse as football season happens, which is which is why we're discussing some alternatives to yes. to, to make sure that we don't overwhelm you guys um, week in and week out with our 75 to 90 minute podcast. So, <laughs> hey, I've seen every other podcast I've been listening to gets longer. I think it's we just, just I think we should just do two. People yeah. have multiple commutes a week. So, yeah, we can you know, do that. there's that. that but, um, but yeah, this is going to do it for this episode of Frogs Insider. Once again, we are a part of the Dave Campbell's texas football republic of football network you can find us wherever you get your podcasts please like and subscribe share it with a friend help put this pod in the ears of more horn frog faithful big thank you as well to homefield apparel and hell's half acre sporting goods our good friends of the podcast our very friendly sponsors you should go be a purveyor of yeah. all of their products that they have made specifically for tcu or in the case of homefield apparel just any comfy hoodie that you get your hands on um, thank you. Thank you. Thank you to all of them. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at frog preacher. You can find Melissa on Twitter at the coach, Melissa, find us on Instagram at frogs insider, and we will talk to you next time. Go frogs. Go frogs.